0: This week on the Lectures in History podcast, a lecture about comics in Cold War America. Gregory Datis of San Diego State University analyzes the portrayal of war comics and how they were reflective of Cold War fears and insecurities. Four years later, look at this poster. Hedda
1: Hopper says it'll scare the pants off you. There's, There's women falling out of the skies. That's how bad it is. New York City is going to topple. San Francisco is in flames. Boulder Dam is destroyed. Nowhere is it safe in the United States. Puget Sound attacked with a nuclear strike. Mass casualties. This is frightening.
0: Professor Datis also analyzes the portrayal of the war in those comics. San Diego State University in California is home to the Center for Comic Studies.
1: Welcome. We are on Lesson 7, so uh, we're making good progress. Today we're going to get into the Red Scare. Last lesson, obviously, we talked a little bit about uh, the role of comics in kind of building a national identity and uh, and what that means. We'll talk about that in a moment. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the Red Scare and how the comics were contributing to that Red Scare and also reflecting it. What I want to do today, as you see here, is kind of is t- we'll start with this kind of red menace and what it means and, and how it is supposedly a threat to definitions of American freedom and liberty. We're going to have a conversation on the think piece you um, did today by kind of examining, uh, is this tomorrow, and getting a sense of whether this threat is internal or external. And what was the most dangerous threat? And then um, we're going to take a little bit of a uh, dive into some of the espionage comics and see how the Cold War is unfolding in the realm of, uh, of James Bond and, and the spies. Uh, next lesson, um, we're going to move over to taking a look at how children are, are expected to participate in, this, in the Cold War. So we'll have a reading um, from Kellys Davis, and then um, you're going to actually look at these Bowman trading cards that came out in 1951, which are just phenomenal. Um, they're basically um, baseball trading cards that were um, all about the Red Scare and targeted to kids. All right, so that's where we're heading today. Quick review from last lesson. We talked about comic books as a, um, an influencer and a reflection of national identity and how these comics, not just Cold War comics, but I think comics more generally, are reflective of cultural trends and, and receptive to cultural trends. So we see there's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship between culture and comics. They're, they're reflecting culture, but they're also contributing to what that culture means. Um, And we saw last lesson that obviously when we get into the Cold War, there are pretty serious concerns over national identity. What does it mean to be an American in the post-World War II era? What does it mean to be an American as you're now fighting yet another global threat, um, no longer now from Nazis, although we'll see Nazis continue to pop up. Um, The Red Skull is just one example um, throughout the Cold War era. But um, this threat from... Seemingly a new totalitarian one with um, global communism, and so we asked as we kind of remember we, we looked at the uh, the first introduction or the introduction of uh, the Incredible Hulk and that first cover um, with Stan Lee, and whether these Marvel comics were reflective of American confidence coming out of World War II or American fears, and we had this conversation. We seemed to to come to some consensus that it was both, right? That that Marvel Comics, as just one example, are reflecting both a confidence in and fear of the Cold War and and America's relationship with the Cold War. We talked about some of the the tensions between identity and how it's constructed. A larger national identity, and and is it a consensus-based identity, almost a coercive, forced identity of what you are supposed to be as an American, what you were supposed to do as an American, And then these fracture lines between this kind of larger consensus national identity in the Cold War and personal identity, race, gender, are all impacted um, by these fracture lines of what it means to be an American fighting the Cold War and what it might mean to be an African American um, participating in the Civil Rights Movement. And as we saw, remember that one um, panel we saw where um, the NAACP is helping out uh, an African-American family in need, and the comics suggested that because the NAACP was doing that and because they were ostensibly influenced by communism, that the NAACP was suspect. And so clearly there's some issues here and, and tensions between how we're thinking about um, identity. We also talked a little bit about this important idea of consensus and what it means during this era, right? That for me to be an American, um, I just did this and just taps it. For for me to be an American, I have to prove that I'm not a communist. And so part of identity is also not explaining what I am, but explaining what I'm not, what I'm not. And the comics will help us do that. Um, But the myth of consensus is based on another kind of deeper myth that we talked about, that Americans have this progressive mission to to civilize um, That these ideas of of manifest destiny if you will that have been with us for for decades and decades um, Are still being reflected in the Cold War through comics Um, And thus not surprisingly national identity becomes politicized and the comics will help readers as we're going to see today especially um, politicize those ideas of what it means to be an American and then finally, we, we kind of delved a little bit into the Marvel superheroes um, with the introduction of characters like the Fantastic Four and the Incredible Hulk and Peter Parker. Um, and yes, with great com- power comes... Yeah, sorry, right? Got it, got it at least once, right? So if you're talking about war, at least once you've got to mention Clausewitz. If you're talking to comics at least once, you have to mention with great power. It's in the
3: contract.
1: It's, it's in the contract. Um, and so how these... these comic book heroes themselves are embodying this nationalist, um, these nationalist aspirations and also this triumphalist culture, right? That the Fantastic Four are aspirational in in what they represent, but there's also, as we saw, some concerns here, right? That that Ben Grimm, as an example, is, is kind of a reluctant hero. Clearly, the Incredible Hulk is a reluctant hero. And yet the culture that's coming out of these Cold War comics is triumphalist. Um, they express a moral certainty. Um, now, we're going to see as we get a little farther into the, into the course that crime and horror comics are definitely not doing that. And that's why they're going to be a target because they're, they're offering, suggesting a narrative that is not triumphalist and that there may be some decay within this American narrative, within American culture. And that's why folks like Frederick Wortham Um, are going to attack them besides the point that they're um, supposedly contributing to juvenile delinquency. Um, But what's important for us, especially with the Marvel comics, and we'll we'll hit them again as we hit uh, a little bit later on down in the course, that they're actually fighting the Cold War. Remember we saw that one panel where Sue Storm, the the origin story of, of Fantastic Four, she's basically calling Ben Grimm a coward, and then saying, look, if we don't go to space, the communists are going to get there before we do. And so we have to. And then he gets all mad and you know, throws down and says, I'm going to fly wherever. Um, but they're representing values and virtues. And we had this conversation of who is more representing these values, especially in the early Cold War? Is it Tony Stark as Iron Man or Steve Rogers as Captain America? We have capitalism on one side, the strong independent industrialists. And on the other side, we have this clearly virtuous... Um, ideological character um, with Steve Rogers. Um, And then the last thing is is our review for today. Um, We saw last lesson and had a conversation about core values and who decides those core values. Who decides, who determines what it means to be an American? And how do the comics contribute to this question? And for the Superheroes who are supposed to be demonstrating, exhibiting these aspirations and values, they're doing so in a way that also transcends the law. And so we had this conversation, right, of how do you represent a society's values if you're transcending its laws? These are vigilantes, aren't they? This is what the Civil War comic and then the more recent MCU movie is all about, right? Who represents the society if you're not operating within its laws? And with all of this, obviously, is a conversation which leads us to today about where, from where the major threats come, and how we define ourselves, and how much of national identity is determined by the threats to that society, which leads us to the Red Scare, okay? All right, any questions at all from our review from the last class? Everybody good? Everybody understand what we did in terms of kind of setting this foundation, having a conversation about national identity, how comics are contributing to, reflecting to that conversation about national identity, and ultimately this conversation we had last lesson about how threats are part of that conversation. All right, everybody good? All right, we're off to the races. Everybody good here? All right, my favorite line from last night's reading, right? Um, Peter Lee says, after 1945, these commies, evil, godless commies, are looming large because the nation was sweat-drenched in fear. What a great line. Now, it seems to be that there's proof of this, right? And Lee suggests, um, if we look at some of the evidence, that this is true. 1946, um, the Clifford Report, Clark Clifford is an advisor to the Truman administration, Um, co-authors a report called America's America's Relations with the Soviet Union, and he declares the ultimate aim of Soviet policy is world domination. It's in 1946, only one year after we, single-handedly, won World War II. Two years after that, 1948, a congressional testimony talking about Soviet espionage inside the United States a systematic and substantial assault on the integrity of our government. Four years later, look at this poster. Hedda Hopper says it'll scare the pants off you. There's, there's women falling out of the skies. That's how bad it is. New York City is going to topple. San Francisco is in flames. Boulder Dam is destroyed. Nowhere is it safe in the United States. Puget Sound Attack with a nuclear strike, mass casualties. This is frightening. And it seems to be that, yes, the cities are under assault and apparently people falling out of buildings, but so too are fundamental values. And this is the first question I want to kind of work on today is Lee suggests that fundamental values were at stake. And when you read a comic like this from 1948, the plot to to steal the world, we've seen this before, right? Remember the little Stalin octopus? In that case, it was red. But here you can see Lenin. It's 1917. He's talking about um, uh, the revolution in Russia destroying all the liberties of the people. But that's not enough. Now we have to kind of create this communist world. And... He's now, luckily, I guess the comic book writer and artist were there to, to hear the plot to destroy the world, um, is going to steal not just the Russian state and its people, but the world. All right, so how accurate was this? We discussed the components, a couple of lessons now about Marxism and Leninism and what it meant and what it aspired to be. And we talked after World War II, the capacity of Stalin's Soviet Union to actually project power, which may have been fairly limited given 22-plus million people, Russians, dead during and in the immediate aftermath of World War II. So were America's fundamental values really at stake here? Given what we've read in McMahon as an overview, given what you've seen here so far, what you read in, in Is This Tomorrow? Do you get a sense that America's fundamental values, who we are, our structures, our government, were really fundamentally at stake here? Yeah.
4: Yeah, I, I would agree that their fundamentals were at stake. Like, it's evidence, like, you see stuff like rock and roll popping into the picture, and there's this whole different, like, dynamic going in the world, but I just think that's, like, progression. But I think that's also a good way for, like, a conservative half of America to try and slow that progression down by finding some sort of, like, boogeyman to blame. And in this case, it was communism.
1: Okay, so this this is an opportunity, and, and, and narratives like this is an opportunity for more conservative um, uh, citizens to say, look, we need to slow all this down. Elvis has taking us in a direction that we don't want to go, and, um, and the commies want that, right? Yeah, uh, Denise?
5: I was going to say that one of the values would be to vote, and like on the think piece, the is this tomorrow, is tomorrow America? Yeah. Um, they were saying to, that they, the communists would remove the vote, but they really value it, so they said to use the right to vote.
1: Yeah, so there's, this is yet another example, right, of something that is clearly at stake, at least according to the comics, right, that if, communists, if a communists take over American government, they're gonna take away your right to vote, so exercise that right. And also, right, what's the best way for you to demonstrate that you're not a communist?
6: Go out and vote, right? Yeah. Um, I think that the threat was real, Yeah. but I think that, this not like the Soviet Union was like one single homogenous state or it was right. even like, uh, like Mao's China even, you know, especially as the time went on in the 70s. There were more radical people within the apparatus of the Soviet Union who did want, we need to, we need to get the world revolution right, right. We can't, we can't let, the, if, if, we, if we stay within the borders, it will die, it will right, sterilize. Right. It has to get out there.
1: And we had this conversation, right, about the competition between the Soviet Union and China over who is going to be the leader of global, this global revolution, yeah, yeah, and exactly. should it be anti-communist or anti-imperialist. Yeah. yeah. Right. Anybody else? Luke and then Diana?
0: Yeah, I think there's an element into which it might be justified, but I think it also in a large part, it's a pretty convenient scapegoat. Like yeah, if yeah, you look yeah. at in the, is this tomorrow, a lot of the criticisms were of mostly American institutions like unions. Right. Unions were basically propped up in the comic as like basically communi- communist stooges, you ready right, to right, yeah. ready to act basically on the orders of mm-hmm. Moscow and yeah, without. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without really any reasons of their own for doing so there 's a point where people are like, "What are they striking over?" And they're like oh we don't know right, right. it's in the comic it 's just because they 've been ordered to by the communist Party but
1: yeah, and, and that 's what I wonder right about right that it, I, I think we can come to some consensus that maybe a cultural value that we all share as Americans if we even believe that that, that is a you know a viable argument is that I think you can say there's a fairly independent strain in in at least how we talk about what it means to be an American. And yet, these union folks, at least in the comics, they all kind of shrug their shoulders and like, yeah, we were told to do this by the communists, so um, we're just going to follow along. And that, and that's why I think puts, that's what puts this into question, right? Are Americans that easily duped to believe that communism is the absolute right way to go after 100 plus, 150 years of just democratic institutions. And was it going to turn that quickly, especially after World War II, right? Diane?
7: Yeah, I think they're looking for someone to direct um, or to make an other of, almost like yeah, the yeah. Germans did just before the World War II. Right. Um, they're looking for a way to unify the people and for the American people so that they'll give them their support when they go to all of these wars and to end right. Vietnam and to Korea
1: and, you know. Yeah, is, is this also a way then for the government to get support for whatever program you want to, to promote, especially national security, right? If there is a clear and present danger here, not to, to steal from Tom Clancy, but if there is a clear and present danger here, I have to get you all to accept it because then it's easy then for you to support the Truman, to support increases in the defense budget, to in, in, to support interventionism overseas, right? Grace? That's
8: like exactly what I was going to say. I Sorry. think that it's fine.
0: It's it. fine. Um,
8: <laughs> I think that, I'm not sure if the threat was real, but I think to a certain degree they thought it was. Right, right. Enough for those like key intrinsic American values like religion, and even in um, Is This Tomorrow, like guns were discussed.
1: Right, right. Like
8: Uh, education, uh, motherhood, all those things being at risk for communism.
1: Yeah, this raises a really important point, right? Is is it just as important to believe there is a threat as it as there is an actual threat there? And, And what I find fascinating with this is we're trying to separate here, or young readers are trying to separate fact from fiction. And how do you do that? This is pretty clear, right, that obviously the red Communist, the embodiment of the devil. And now you're expecting a young reader to, to separate fact from fiction. And it's really difficult to do. If you think about a nuclear Soviet Union and the, quote-unquote, loss of China, Hungary, Berlin, Korea... How do you do that, right? And so I think Grace is right. If if you if you believe in the perception of a threat, is that just as important as the threat itself? I th- I think so. And, yeah, catching. I was thinking. It seemed interesting
9: to me that some things that were in the comic also seemed to be things that Americans were doing and kind of projecting. Like on one page they talked about how, oh, if the commies take over, we're going to, uh, we're going to burn more food so that like, only commies get food. Well, we know today uh, a lot of farmers do that so they keep the prices of like crops up. Right, right, right. So it so seems like it's projecting a bit.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, and, and we talked, right, and we'll see, especially with the, the espionage, right, that uh, um, both Savage and Lee kind of make this argument that these covert operators, emissaries of the United States— Um, across the globe are are simply promoting the Truman Doctrine. But as we suggested last lesson, if you flip that on its head, isn't that what Khrushchev is arguing by supporting wars of national liberation? I think so. So I I think there is something to this argument that there's a bit of projection and mirror imaging going on here in terms of the threat, Um, which isn't surprising if you think about, as we started with McMahon, um, this idea that it is a global competition for leadership of the world and, and what ideology is going to best serve that. Yeah, cool.
8: That was, like, that's a really interesting point, and I think that's pretty clear throughout the entire comic with like, just American hypocriticalism, where they're talking about, like, oh, communists are going to bring concentration camps, but it's like we already had internment camps a year prior. So, like, a little confused about that. Yeah,
1: the hypocrisy is definitely there. Yeah, right?
8: and then they also talk about how they're going to, you know, bring on, like, anti-Semitic sentiments. And it's like, well, Jews were persecuted since the start of America. Like, right, they've right, always right. been persecuted here, you know. It's not like the communists are the specific reason why this is happening. It's right. like, it's just been here.
1: Yeah, I, I th- and again, I think it's is is it an opportunity to... Use this threat, this face of evil, as a way to promote your policy, right? Carlos?
10: So, coming from the fact that we just got out of World War II, we just lost our, our near-peer adversary, which was Japan, right, and the uh, Axis powers at the time, like, communism was, like, the biggest, even like, what you would consider a near-peer adversary at that point to challenge our institution. Like, they challenge our institutional values. Right, right. So that, like, even in the comic, it's, it showed, like, a slippery slope like argument to kind of push those things that are like if we let protests start happening, if we let these things start happening, that then eventually we're gonna buckle under that pressure, even if that that threat it's not necessarily there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Absolutely. Satchel. On
2: the topic of hypocrisy, found in like, is this tomorrow the the commandments at the end that they put forward, right, 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 right. and the things they said were very like they're like you need to be critical, you need to read things, you need to think. You need to be tolerant. But the whole comic is them just demonizing and generalizing communism as this evil, evil thing. But they tell people to be critical and think for themselves, right. yet they're kind of implanting this idea into, some, into people's heads. And I
1: want you to embrace your individualism, and I want you to be able to, to choose your religion, choose your, your political identity, but just do so in a way that makes sure you're choosing the right thing, right? Yeah. Denise, and then Chris.
5: It was interesting how um, on the commitments, like he said, that one of them was to be tolerant of other races, religions, and nationalities right. and to use your right to vote, but they had been intolerant of African-Americans and they had removed their right to vote and stuff like that, even though it had ended by then, like the Grandfather Clause and things like that. Yeah, they're still. The we're still kind
1: of working through some Jim Crow laws, exactly, obviously. Exactly, yeah.
5: They still, you know, the groups of people were still marginalized and couldn't exercise their right to vote when they were in the U.S. So yeah, yeah, it kind absolutely. of reflected... You know, the lynching and everything and the starvation, they were all putting African-Americans through that. But yeah. now that it happened to white people, it was suddenly dangerous and cruel.
1: Yeah, so I, again, I, I think this is important for us, right? We, we're seeing the construction of a threat that rests on some pretty basic hypocrisies, right? Um, and again, if you're thinking about, as we, we did early on, who's the main audience for this? You're asking young kids a lot here to kind of work through what's real, what's fact, what's fiction, Christian then
6: Garrett um, I think that uh, I think the, the calls for the hypocrisy are a little bit overblown okay. considering you know like when, when the Soviets did a camp, they killed fifty thousand people in it right. at gunpoint, you know like it, it was a, I remember there was a movie in the early '90s there was it was a submarine movie, and there 's a part where they 're on the boat. It has Harrison Ford, I think another actor, and they watch propaganda films about you know uh, blacks That's, in America right, getting right, beat. Right. And and you know, look at this. Uh, they take about all. It. Look at the hypocrisy. It's a very standard line from the, the Soviet, you know, in terms of game plan to, to yeah, yeah. call the other person a hypocrite, absolutely, and and and, and to distort the truth, said the facts extensively, because the Soviets did use ethnic and racial disparities. The communists did do that. That was a huge part of doing that in, in any area. Divide and conquer right. is a standard deal and make them all. And so again, I, I think
1: what you're saying here, it, I forget who said it, right? but it, you're seeing a mirror imaging here on both sides, both sides using this almost, almost the exact same tactics, right? Divide, exterminate religion, or, you know, whatever that, however you just decide to define that. Right? What is so,
0: America doing here at all? to the Soviet Union?
1: Well, I think a matter of scale, right? That if you're interning Japanese-Americans solely based on race and solely based on fear... That was awful. Absolutely awful. awful. Yeah, is it a level of scale difference? I think you might be able to make an argument of that. But I, I think what's key here is what the comics are suggesting is that our values our ideals are supreme and yet we're also engaging in behavior that is kinda of suspect and not living up to those ideals that you're seeing in comics
11: like this, right? Garrett? Um on like the topic of like divide in the first couple pages of Is This Tomorrow is saying that with all the communists that were like in New York saying that um like they've done a very good job of making like different classes and religion like hate each other. Right. Right, so right, like seems like The communists, if it wasn't for communists, then we wouldn't have classes hating each other. Everything would be peaceful. But it's like, even though they may or may not have been communists that were doing that, like, all this turmoil is still going on in America. They're trying to push all America's problems on communism.
1: So there's, again, coercive consensus building here, right? If you speak out against class inequality, well, you're clearly being you're exhibiting communist behavior, right? If you're speaking out about um, issues with civil rights, clearly you've been infiltrated by the the communists, right? And so there is this kind of coerciveness to the storyline here, which I think is important as we're working through how do we define identity and how do we build consensus so we are unified against this global um, threat. And because there is a global threat, we need to involve heroes. And so that's why this, this medium for us works really well. And by us, I mean you know, young, young readers in the 1950s. That if you are having a bit of a trouble as a young reader separating fact from fiction, what is absolutely enticing is that this is a global struggle against a godless, evil threat. And we need heroes to help us out
8: like about tomorrow is, and at the end, that final page before the end Commandments, it's definitely making it seem like, it's enabling the reader to like, be that hero by like, step up, take your place, like, defend yeah, your yeah. country, and like, then we can prevent this slippery slope. Like, right, if right. you never like, fall into the fear of communism, like, or still fear it, but like, if you never give into it, then like, we won't go down that path.
1: You can be the mighty Thor's sidekick in this fight against global communism. Yeah, it asks you to participate. And that's one of the things. That's what we're really going to dive into next lesson is the implications of asking kids, young kids, to participate in war. I mean, this is another question I think we need to ask ourselves: Is the United States at war right now? By now, I mean you know, let's say 1948, 49. Yes, by the time it gets to 1950, we're we're. um, we're in Korea, but is the United States at war? And if we're kind of asking kids to be a part of this, like Julia said, to participate in this conflict, which has global ramifications, yes, it's appealing from a marketing standpoint, and publishers obviously want to sell comic books, but it also, I get to have a cape.
5: This is awesome, right, Sean? I- we are indeed at war, but it's more of like a cultural war in yeah. essence. I mean, the comic books literally paint like communism as the antithesis to Western values and Western society, especially in that religious aspect. I mean, there's a line where, like, I think one of the subversives literally says, Here goes the greatest, like, what trash ever written, in the Bible, and then right, right, it right, right, right into right. a big ball of flame. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. they, It's so. To the point and blunt, it's almost comical, but at the time, it really brings home the fact that we're fighting literally the antithesis.
1: And notice the language here. And again, you know, we remember when we talked about, we, uh, we read um, uh, Earl's piece on, on the importance of you, as a reader, participating in comics, of so filling in those gaps. That when you, you move from panel to panel, the artist and the writer are asking you to participate when you turn the page. When we looked at um, um, Craigstein's... Um, Master race, right? When we're on this tier of the panels and we're in the present, and then now all of a sudden he's asking you to participate as we go down to the bottom tier and now you're in the past. He's doing, in this case here, right? Stanley and Jack Kirby are doing the same exact thing. They're now taking you into, in this case, the Peking, Beijing headquarters. And you get to spy in on this communist who are saying that communism is the mightiest force in the world. And as long as we defeat, destroy, the hero protector, Thor, we have an opportunity here to shake Americans' morale or the Western powers' morale. And so even with that kind of language and this imagery, I mean, clearly you're seeing, just look at the face structure here, right? There's, these are savage, animalistic enemies that we're dealing with. It does draw you in to participate in this struggle war.
2: Shatchel. on sean's point of communism being seen as like the antithesis to western society i would even say they paint it as the antithesis to to good like it's just it's just plain evil like it's not even it's not even that it's compared to western society it's just compared to heroes it
1: doesn't get any more i mean there's not a lot of room for interpretation here is there this is communism Is it a little good? According to that, no. (laughs) Absolutely not, right? Um, So I I think it is important for us to kind of think about, um, as we're entertaining these questions about American identity during the Cold War era, asking young kids to participate in this, this is pretty threatening. If it's possible that the mighty Thor can be taken down by communists... And maybe he needs all the help he can get. Which is why then Jane Foster, no kidding. Um. All right. There's another question I think we also need to ask here. And we saw this in the reading, an intimation, a suggestion of this, right? That there may in fact be political benefits to being at war. Now this is a much earlier comic, right? September 1940, so we still have not entered, the United States has still not entered World War II. What do you see here that might suggest that there are political benefits to war? I
9: mean, it's it's an action-adventure in the Philippines Then sacking the Philippines means you got a pretty good eye on potential allies like China, and you get all the benefits of like materials, so then your party gets more favorable stuff because you were
1: the one that did it. And Philippines is, yes, kind of part of the American empire here. Yeah. And so there's, there's that component of it. So this is suggesting that by being at war, you can also gain a little land places. Perhaps, right? Land? There's
7: huge economic value to being at war.
1: There's an economic value to being at war.
7: You've got all these um, contracts for the military. You've got, you end up with land, which gives you more free markets. Um, you know, it just goes on
0: and on. And and we talked
1: about the the, the very um, present concerns in the in the immediate post World War II era that it was World War II that took us out of the depression rather than FDR's policies, right? And so, a very um, among political circles, a very prevalent concern that once we got into a post World War II peacetime era, we were going to immediately drop back into. Um, an economic crisis and back into the depression. Um, Julie, did you have something? And then Dave?
8: Yeah. So at the beginning of the reading, I think they like straight up say like the time to like make these changes is like when you're in crisis because the people are looking for stability. They might be open to looking for something new, and so that's a definite political advantage if like the people that you're trying to persuade are in crisis. Then right. Right. You right. have an advantage over that. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Do you, do you get to demonstrate your powerful benevolence. Yeah, you get to make right? up your solution. You, like, and you get times. absolutely and you get to make up your own solution.
11: Good, Dave? So to answer the question like um what would benefit the United States of being involved in the war II at that like, at that point in nineteen forty. You know, France is occupied and uh the United States
1: um like would be seen as like the heroes that like came in and like helped liberate Western Europe. Is there a potential for a hero narrative here? Look at his thighs. This guy is this guy is doing squats, right? But there's also something really scary here, too, right? This kid's a baby, and he's on a Gatling gun, for God's sakes. Sean? I do think
5: it's very important to notice, like, how Uncle Sam is depicted this, especially in regards to war. I mean... Like, historically, how Uncle Sam is depicted is the the nature of the nation at that point in time. And if he's in war right now, like you said, he's looking pretty strong. He's happy. He's literally beating people up. And he's, like, larger than life. Right. So that's to say that America in a war is strong, united, healthy, and just in its element.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So do your squats if you want to defeat communism. Um... But there's a problem here, right, that, that in this case, it, the enemy is visible. When we get to the Cold War, we're not so certain, are we? And so I think a key question we have to ask ourselves is, as you were going through the reading, then especially when you got into, is this tomorrow, was the communist threat more internal or external? So what do we see here first? So this is obviously a caricature, 1961, of Nikita Khrushchev. What is this godless communism suggesting here in terms of what we're seeing in the comic? What are some of the things you want to pull out of this? Luke
0: and then Matt? I think it's highlighting kind of like a two-faced nature of communism where... In all of these cases, Khrushchev's either extending money or the olive branch right. on one side, but he's holding a missile and a whip uh, in his other hand. And so I think it's trying to express that regardless of what the face of communism is that it's presenting, they're making an argument that its true nature is destructive and subversive and dangerous. And, and that deceitful. It's de- yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Absolutely, right? Matt? Uh,
4: yeah, I agree with Luke. But um I, I liked what it said at the bottom where it's like in its wake communism has left a trail of murders, lies and misery a kind yeah. never seen before and it's just like it also says, um, like, and I saw this as a common trend amongst, like there was another source earlier that was published by the same Catholic group that published right, the, right. the, the cate- act- Catechetical oh, yeah. Guild, right? Yeah, the cate- yeah,
1: yeah. I, can't, I can't say it. But it's yeah. catechism and then catechism. It is Yeah, hard. it's, it's like, a weird word. Say it five times faster.
4: Yeah, but that group and like a bunch of other Catholic groups seem to be like constantly pushing this on children and like really like trying to get their heads into this thought process of, like, screw communism.
1: If you are an atheist, does that mean that you might also be a communist? That's what these, that's what these, are, these comics are suggesting, right? So the way to burnish your credentials as an American is to, to be religious, to embrace religion, because that's a great way for you to demonstrate tangibly that you are not a communist. Communists don't go
6: to church. Where's the Where is where is where is the actual disinformation or Khrushchev did do all these things? I mean, the communists, like, like even with the material that we read last night, I mean, the process by which countries went was a similar process. Where where is the lie in so far any of the propaganda I've heard? Now I understand that some of it is hyperbolic or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's hyperbole. There is propaganda. There is a confrontational. War going on like a cosmic one, really, between two polar opposites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good way to put it, right? A cosmic. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's more than just the, the material, uh, but uh, but that's what happened in the Soviet Union. That's yeah, what happened in communist China. That's what happened in the, uh, 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 Uganda mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Robert Mugabe. It was a prosperous, wealthy country, mm-hmm. and then he assumed power, and it became there was genocidal, and then the country fell apart. I mean, the same thing. He pitted the, the ethnic groups against each other, be it the black tribes or the, mm-hmm. or, or the whites against the blacks and, the, and, and everything else and, or you, any number of places. I mean, the America's wasn't that great either. We had the banana republics. Right, right. We, 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 we cooed people as well. But this, this is a part of like during our, the era of our class in 1961 or two, Saul Alinsky wrote his book Rules for Radicals. So this is this external threat
1: is real. Okay, Carlos, and then Shane.
10: Well, adding on to that, I think that that's where the the huge issue comes with the internal threat, like building an internal threat, is because there was a basis for having this fear of communism. That they could see like there was like solid proof, there was anecdotal evidence, and you know that they that they, it was it could be that bad, and yeah. because of that, they saw a small issue that could that could potentially become a bigger issue, and they decided to try to stop it at the lowest level possible Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. good good Shane and then Taylor and then I want to come back to what Christian said uh
9: two things one I did also notice when he's looking towards the east he's trying to get peace in his own region and then towards the west he's trying to blow up and stuff be aggressive very
11: nice
9: uh I also found uh my I showed a lot of this to my Russian spouse they just laugh at so much of this it's so like out of proportion blown up stuff I mean they have the same things I mean they called their mom and they're like,
1: "Oh, they why did you leave behind a trail of misery when you were raising me?" It's like
9: they had the same things we did. That's so cool! Right, 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 right. Yeah. So it's really interesting point of view. Yeah, it is interesting. Taylor,
3: um, to kind of Christian and Carlos's points, right? I think it started definitely as a very valid like external threat. Uh
7: huh.
3: Um, but especially when we look at is is this tomorrow? Um, I think we really kind of used some fears that americans had in in order to kind of like create an internal threat or yeah. make it at least like add to the perception that there was an internal threat to democracy in the united states and i think this is seen especially in is this tomorrow through the use of like depression era imagery dust bowl imagery right, right 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 and then also you have like comparisons to World War II Nazism, like even on page three, I think it was, there's like the armband uh, of the communists with like the sickle and hammer. Right, right. It fashioned just like the Nazis wore. Um, so I think they purposefully crafted some of that messaging to the audience that for, grew for, up in an era is, I full they, of fear of like actual historical events. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And that to me is the key question, right, is where is the lie is a great question. But for what purpose is this being sold, right? Is it, for, is it for true national security purposes or this is an external threat? Is it now a way for whoever's selling this message to say, well, we need to look at the internal threat because the external threat is now seeping internally. And that's where I wonder. How we determine the level of threat. Is, it, is, is this imagery a lie? Or is it a problem of degree, right? Because what, what ends up happening then is this same comic from this communism, or this godless communism. Take a look at here. We're now taking you through an, an educational description of, of communist cells. And in this case, um, we can see the evils of librarians. Um, because she's at a public library. He's at a, um, a university teacher. Thank you, I'm a communist. Um, the labor union, who talked about labor unions earlier? Here's a, a labor union librarian who's now in it. Um, and then I have received orders to go to California, um, and clearly I obey because I'm a communist. So I think the problem here, right, is when we're we're taking this threat and just putting in this space of just... Hyper fear and, and overestimating the threat, what does it do to American culture? Because then there is a coercive consensus build, building and it narrows what's acceptable within American culture. Because the external threat seems to be causing an internal threat. Luke?
5: Um, yeah, I was just going to say, like, they
11: warned in the comic that
5: we uh, read that yeah, It's like all it takes is like a small group of communists to take over a cell. Yeah, and like,
11: the fact that there was a party in a lot of these countries like, contributes to the fear. Yeah, absolutely. Luke, and then Diana?
0: Yeah, I think the issue that's present in this isn't so much that it's, it isn't so much the foreign threat. Like, regardless of if the sentiment towards what the Russian communists are doing the Chinese communists are doing is valid or not it's kind of irrelevant because that isn't really what any of this is talking about it's talking about kind of this imagined domestic threat that's kind of large, it takes its orders from Moscow, perhaps, but I think it's largely independent from anything that they're doing over there. It's yeah. Instead, It's if you look at this, there's not really actually that much specifically about communism. It's more like if it's this this guy in the uh, third panel here who's saying, oh, you have to leave your wife and family to work for us. It's the destruction of in family California. values. Yeah. It's like, this is showing, oh, the destruction of family values. And is this tomorrow? It's If the Catholic Church is our last holdout against communism, you need to turn to religion. And so I think... And and you are on the front lines of this war. You and your family are
1: active participants in this war. And again, I think what that does is it narrows what's acceptable in terms of participatory democracy. Diana Nicole.
7: This is also the same time that they were doing the Senate or the House uh, Un-American. Who act
1: right? Un- yeah. Un- Un-American American activities States. committee.
7: Yeah. Right. With
1: McCarthy and yeah, all. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, this is a little later. Yeah. This is 1961. Those hearings are happening in the, the they, early 50s. They um, but it, you're still seeing a little bit of leftover mm-hmm. of, of you know red scare McCarthyism. Absolutely. Yeah.
8: I think it's very funny, this has nothing really to do with this conversation, but I think it's very funny that um, these comics where they show, like, the communist takeover of America, as you were saying, is, like, it's just a cell of people, right? It's just a small group of people. But then when you read the comics that are, like, Americans defeating communisms, it's like, oh, it only takes, like, two people to defeat, like... Right, American right, right, people. right. So it's just very... It's
1: But there's a lot of... I'll get to you in a second. There's a lot of insecurity here, too. Um, In this, from 1951, how Stalin hopes we will destroy ourselves, the argument in this comic is an economic one, that if we don't control our own inflation, we're going to economically bankrupt ourselves, and that's going to contribute to us not being able to fight this global crusade. So there's a meshing here of threats, right? That the external one, and in the case of the comics, there's a belief that every, it's all inspired by, by Lenin and, and his followers. Um, actually, Lenin is probably still alive in most of these comics. But Lenin and Stalin and all that um, are, are puppet masters for the world. And because Americans, some, are not strong enough to stand up against this threat they're willing to potentially undermine our economy. They're willing to, to join trade unions and infiltrate and um, you know, turn folks away from capitalism towards socialism within trade unions. They're willing to turn libraries and places of education into propaganda sites. And there's a lot of insecurity here. And again, I, I want to keep coming back to this external threat and what's real and perceived and, and just the capacity, the capability of the Soviet Union to actually project power enough to dominate the globe. Yeah, quick. I
6: really think by the end of the 60s, I feel like the threat system of the Soviet Union is not cool so much until the 70s. I feel like the threat became more of an internal threat. Because Marxism is an ideology with a com- very compact... It's got an end times thing, like any religion or something. It's yeah. got it's got people, no- scholars, knowledgeable, all of that. It, it, it does want to get rid of the family. It does want to get rid of the church. It does want I mean, to... Read the communist manifesto. The destruction of the family is required.
1: Yeah, yeah, but remember what we talked about, right? There's a difference between ideology and in how ideology is interpreted by, by scholars. And I'll talk about this in a moment because the comics are also going to... To weigh in I'm on, this. To say to I got you. Americans who say,
6: "Well, why would we even want a communist party, even if just as an experiment in political right, right. freedom?" Because they're getting the old communism.
1: And and that's why that's where, I think you're exactly right, and that's where I think the, the comics kind of overestimate, because I don't think there were many Americans that okay. were willing to experiment with communism. so, was it really? Was this really a threat? Right? How many librarians across the nation were really willing to participate?
6: in communist cells. The books that, that, they don't get any orders. I mean, it's just as well that they get. They talk to the Kremlin once a year. Yeah. They get their sign-up. We we, they did send spies. They I did. don't watch it, any archived no, interviews no, of spies no, from the I 90s. Gotcha. I, again, you know.
1: though, I want I, us to think about the importance of, of threat inflation here oh, and what that threat inflation what are the consequences and
2: implications of that threat inflation. Satchel. I think on that point that at a certain point, the the hyperbolization of communism becomes something that goes past what the actual threat is as to reduce the, like the problems that America is facing at home, because this is a point where there's a lot of social tension between class race. I mean, just, there's a lot of problems in America. So there's a point where it's not even that this is a threat, but if we recognize this threat, it'll take people's minds off of the conflicts at home.
1: And this is a great way to do it, right? Because we're not just fighting godless communists, but but look at what they're doing here, according to the communists. Mind-washing, ungodliness, humanity, slavery, misery. It's a perfect way to reorient American society. Luke?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess just to sort of reiterate what I was going for, I don't think it necessarily mattered... I don't think it was necessarily the communism that mattered. I don't think it was necessarily. I think there was obviously a degree to which Americans were concerned about the spread of communism, about the capabilities of Russia, China. I mean with the with like the Cuban missile crisis, it was clear that the threat is, exists and is real, but I don't think the core of this red scare movement really has to do with foreign communism. Mm-hmm. It has to do with groups that were concerned about what they saw as the decay of American values Mm -hmm. in the family, in religion, in morality, like how and is this tomorrow they're criticizing uh, things like Hollywood movies in aspects like euthanasia, which was also being criticized as having its basis in communism. I think it's to prop up these values and to try and give them more urgency, that the decay of these values is an urgent issue. I think Connecting it to something that's kind of, while it does have parallels, while Marxism and communism do have tenets that include uh, the destruction of family, religion, etc., I think it is largely separate in that it's a convenient mm-hmm. scapegoat to create a sense of urgency in Maintaining these American values how, re- how you define right, these right, right, right. American what they perceive as these American values that are on the decline So I don't necessarily think it matters too much how big The actual Soviet threat was to the people making as long as it was being depicted comics.
1: this way You could then argue for support of and then pick
0: your I think it, it really could have been anything Okay, interesting. She uh,
9: besides the fact, I think someone's probably really proud to come up with that intergave right there. Yeah, right. Like, oh, yeah. That seems like, all right, I need a, like I need
1: a word for. I need a word for you. Help me out here. Help me out here.
9: Who's yeah. got it?
6: Un, yeah.
9: Ungodliness, right? Uncleanliness. Besides that, I think it's interesting when they put the first three: conquest, depression, murder. Right. And then we just put that right next to Uncle Sam punching a guy from the Philippines. Right, right, right. Like really close
1: together. Yeah. Again, I. I, I this, this is such an important point that you were all bringing out today, right? That this mirror imaging, the parallelism, if you will, between Soviet propaganda and what you're seeing in American comic books and and how this is kind of playing off each other. Taylor?
3: Um, One thing I found interesting about, like, is this tomorrow when we're talking about, like, the internal threat and if it was kind of hyperbolized and everything like that was the use of language in the uh, comic as far as, like, Every time there was a panel that talked about a strike or yeah. a peaceful protest, the wording was riot. Right,
11: right, right. Um,
3: and I found that very interesting because, like, that kind of gaslighting language, right, where we're right. going to basically um, just say that everything that we disagree with is, you know, some sort of, uh, like, riot. conspiracy, right? right? And it's going to be a violent uh, event, We still see that happen, you know, to this day in the use of language. So I think when you add historical imagery, such as like the Great Depression, World War II, and then you add, you know, some of that language, like riot, which gives you a very different picture than like a protest or, or uh, exercising your,
1: your, your, Basic rights in a democracy. Right.
3: So I think when you add all of those things together, it creates that hyperbole of threat, Yeah, yeah. Um, especially to a 1947 reader who lived through events that they would see kind of reflected in those pages.
1: Totalitarianism and Nazism and, and militarism. Absolutely. And again, think about audiences here. You're asking a young kid to do a lot with the imagery and a lot with the language here. And remember, comics are supposed to be read where you're working text and image together. You're asking a lot for a young reader to... We talked about the importance of social context and getting the joke in comics, right? You're asking a lot for a young kid to do this. Carlos? I was going
10: to say that, like, when we were talking about, like, how reading was, like, a social... It was possible scenarios that started off Leading to something that was completely extreme. Right. However, like using the the, the the verbiage and everything, there was like the the crowning achievement or culminating victory was when the kid uh, reported his parents.
1: Right. 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 Which was
10: kind of like a destruction of like all values because it wasn't just oh, it was just a destruction of a family. There was a religion in there. There was a freedom of information. Right. 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 It just kind of like pushed to that like and it it. it yeah, which is, there, there's an
1: interesting paradox here, right? We're, we're talking about the importance of family, but we're also then showcasing a young child potentially turning into his family because they're communists, right? Um, the last line
6: and there's. Why didn't you share what you was learning in school?
11: Right,
1: right. No. Yeah, so it's interesting parallels to today in terms of who has responsibility for children's education, right, Shane?
9: common cause or a lot of the snitch as long as it's government. Right, right, yeah,
11: yeah, yeah, that's right. Snitches
1: don't get s- stitches as long as it's an anti-communist message. That's right.
7: There's also does that just, work?
1: I think it works, right? There's also this um,
7: redirecting of attention. It does. If we're They um, had Francis Gary Powell spying from youtube pilot
1: back in um
7: we got in Cuba the way we knew they had the missiles was we had spy planes flying over so if we're doing it but we don't we want to redirect it to, oh, the Soviets are
1: doing it, not us. Yeah, in terms of, there is a, there is a message here, yeah. and we, we saw from the reading last night, right, that a me- an undercurrent message of, it's okay to fight fire with fire here. If they're so immoral that they're doing this, right, that these are good Russian people. They're just being duped by these totalitarian leaders. If they're doing this to their own people does that loosen our moral responsibilities for how we can act? It's acceptable for us to maybe occasionally step out of what we would deem moral because there's a greater good to be had here. If we can intervene and save this poor Russian family from these totalitarian Soviet leaders, don't we have a moral obligation to do that? And if we act a little immorally while we're doing that by fighting fire with fire, then that potentially is okay because we are participating in a greater good. Yeah. I
8: think that, that in the, like, there was another point in the, um, in the comic that I found a little hypothetical, but obviously at the time they hadn't like, the concept of it, but they showed the disappearance and murder of someone right. that was communist. And right. then like, 40 years later we go on to support dictators that are going to do the exact same thing to communist people so it's just interesting how we take the exact same thing and then obviously they didn't know at the time that we were going to do this but like we just kind of take it and we're like oh well they need saving so
1: that's right and 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 we're going to see this theme throughout the course right that the comics will also tell a very simple message here of good versus evil and we want to make sure that it's clear um yeah, real quick, Taylor, and I want to move on to Is This Tomorrow?
3: On that point, though, I do think that, like, like uh, the article by Savage kind yeah. of talks about the Red Menace. Mm-hmm. He talks about how, you know, in, in some of the superhero comics before, it was very clear fight against good versus evil, and and the morals were very clear of, like, well, we're not going to kill the bad guy. We're going to capture him and put him in jail. And, right, and hopefully and so, rehabilitate
1: him if they're right. not too... too um, you know, their minds haven't been too penetrated. But by then,
3: the but then, like by the Red Menace article, he talks about how you know when you see the shift um, during kind of the Red Scare and and uh, in the comics during this era, you see homicide and genocide being more reasonable and acceptable measures right. for these heroes to take.
7: Right, right, right. Um,
3: so I think that kind of reflects maybe some of that questioning of those morals and values that we might have had. And how do we, how do we now place that in this complicated situation that we have with like...
1: For being, heroes right. and regular Americans, when you're fighting this, do potentially unsavory means... Are, they just, are potentially unsavory means justified by the, the ends? And, and I think they
11: have yeah.
3: uh, Especially with the television, like TV showing uh, images of what's happening, for example, like Vietnam, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we get there, but like how do we, um, as Americans, deal with this imagery of war we may have not have had before, um, and also with, like,
1: so this is an important point that we're going to get to as we, we were a little deeper into the semester of how well are these comics setting young readers up for the nuances, the complexities of a political military war like the American one in Vietnam. I think the short answer right now is probably not all that well. All right. This is the big comic you read for today. Is this tomorrow? Which now going back, as I was kind of prepping for this, this imagery is kind of frightening in a way that I probably wouldn't have thought frightening you know, a year or two ago. Um, and I'll leave it at that. All right, how do we answer this question? Was this comic book that you read for today more education or indoctrination? So you're shaking your head like what, Which you No. Know? Um, I, I would go with indoctrination. Indoctrination, how come? Because um, it opens
8: up. Okay. What I would consider a form of fearmongering,
11: okay. which is
8: saying that they're, they're already in your country, they're already in your government,
11: right, right, and
8: you need to take steps to prevent them from doing what doing the, further damage. The rest of the comic shows if you don't do what the last page says, the Ten Commandments of being a citizen. Look what's going to happen. Look what's right.
0: going to happen.
11: Yeah. Okay. Good. Shane and then Luke. I also found interesting because that we this was made by
0: a Catholic group and. Uh,
9: Persecuted, All sorts of stuff. And then they even give like a commandments at the end, like the Ten Commandments of Christianity. Not very subtle. Not subtle at all. But uh, I found it interesting on one panel. They said, uh, I think it was like Catholicism promotes individuality or something like that. Probably to not be viewed as like a central communist or whatever. Right. Although, usually, it's like, you know, worshipping one god, so they'd be like, oh, we don't want to be, like, worshipping Stalin or something, so we're just going to say it's everybody's individual, when this seems like there's a lot of bias involved. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it's really effective in blurring the lines between education and indoctrination, because it's easy now to look back and say, oh, this stuff didn't happen, look how hyperbolic this all was. Clearly, this was just blatant indoctrination, how did people not see how ridiculous this seems but in the moment when you're at this time, it says like in in the introduction and in the conclusion of the comic, it's like these are all things that have happened across the globe to start communist revolutions in other countries, this has all happened before it's presented very much like education and if you're a kid reading this do you really have any means of Go in looking at the, what the truth is, or do you, are you going to take the word of something that seems to know what it's talking about and is pretty adamant about it?
1: Or when we get to comics like this, the espionage comics. So I'm going to, that was kind of an unartful segue. Um, um, but I, I do want you to think about as we move through, through this course, especially with comics like this, where is this blurred line between education and indoctrination, and, and, and how does one potentially support the other? Here, what you're seeing, right, is these are ripped out of the pages of the news, right? Um, especially when we get to, and we, we saw this a little bit, I think, a lesson or two ago, right, that these secret agents are not mythical. Um, um, they are, you know, operating in Bulgaria. But, you know, when you look at Bulgaria, when you look at Hungary in 1956, Czechoslovakia in 1968, much, a little bit later what we're talking about, when you see communists taking over in China and it's all ripped from the headlines if you're a young reader I think you are scared and when you're seeing this in movies and comics and the news and you're seeing evidence of a communist takeover or attempted communist takeover in Korea I think it is pretty scary it may seem less like indoctrination and more like preparation, education to, to participate to make sure that this doesn't happen to America.
7: Don't we see some of that even today? How easily people will convince in or come They hear something, especially from the right on the news all these conspiracy theories and all, well, I, it's got to be true. I saw it on the news. I saw yeah, it in the
1: and I, You know, what we talked about just more broadly about the value of the historical discipline our very first class about how do you use information? How do you evaluate information? How do you evaluate sources? And for young readers that are working through these big, potentially apocalyptic issues, for a you know, a a 10, 15-year-old to work through that as they're reading this amazing story of of spy cases, it it might be difficult to work through that. Garrett?
11: Um, I think it could be seen as, like, of educational and doctrine. And, because, like, the US said, like, we're the guardians against communism, right? And so we use a lot of, if we can use a lot of fear to make sure people go against communism, because if America falls, then there goes our guardian against communism, and so the rest of the world will fall.
1: Yeah, and there's a there's a sense here, right, that we now actually do have a moral obligation to intervene, and that's why I think the espionage comics are so important for us, because what they're suggesting is, yes, there's there potentially are traitors and sympathizers here at home, but there's also a fight to be had overseas. And not necessarily a conventional one of armies, but one of um, of spies and and I, we have a moral obligation to help, right? If we go back to that blood, uh, blood is the harvest. Don't we have a responsibility as a superpower, Peter Parker,
11: mm-hmm.
1: to help out because we have the power to do so?
5: John. I think a good point is made a minute ago. that comic books. Especially in comic books are kind of like the beginning stages of political commentary and biased opinions infiltrating like news in a way. Like back then this was almost like it's not news of course but no, it's but, a large information source is this, at the
1: time. What's the difference between education and entertainment?
5: The line is very blurred especially really when blurred it comes here. to comic books.
1: Just real quick before we move on we're going to come back to this but I also as I want you to note the gendered component here. Look at the colors here, obviously the red piece of this, um, and the, the, this luscious creature thats that as she's described in the book. We're going to talk a little bit later in the course about the role of, um, of sex and gender in terms of women who are seduced by communism using their bodies as literal weapons of war. Um, so just hang on to that. We're going to come back to this image a little bit later, but I, I want you to... Um, Just tag this for right now, and we'll hit it again. And once more, even with these folks that are serving overseas, um, in Korea, we saw radio operators that turned into traitors, right? We saw um, folks that are supporting American values overseas. But this spy game is happening here at home as well. Look at the language here. right? This, this is um, Rick Davis of the Secret Service. Um, he's uncovering this plot to poison American crops. And Karloff comes here. He works with you American pigs who he hates, but it's all worth it because he's right on the cusp now of, of unleashing his plan. There's a lot of fear here, a lot of insecurity. And I think, I think Sean's right. We, we kind of have to work through the blurred lines here of entertainment and propaganda and information. And think about how the readers were trying to work through that as well. And obviously we're not operating alone. We have our allies here in places like Korea. Notice the language here in terms of our our, uh, Agent Kent throttles our North Korean agent and then is told by an appreciative ally that, hey, thanks for giving us democracy. I promise you we're not going to give it up. So there's a sense here, I think, too, of responsibility among our allies, of being appreciative for what Americans are bringing to the table. And that same language applies overseas. You all, pick your place, in this case it's uh, Romania, have to be united against the threat, just like we are at home. And look at the language here. Don't you realize the Reds want people to split us up into factions? Don't make the same mistake. Yes, yeah, Haji.
2: I find it. Oh, I it. it's very, there's, no, there's no room for any intervention right. at all in any. Like, it's very interesting that they don't. They're just forcing everything they they want down people's throats.
1: Yeah, look at the language here. This is. Let, let's do this real quick. You're not alone anymore. What's he saying here?
10: We're here to help.
1: We're here to help. But this is a global fight that we're all a part of. But we're here to help. So be appreciative every freedom loving person is in this fight do you have a choice to participate or not if you don't participate what are you saying that you hate freedom don't you realize what the Reds want to do come together be unified and anybody that is not unified, that has an, a voice outside of that established consensus is a threat. And if you don't, you're, you're actually going to lose to the communists and that will be bad. All right, this is all frightening, isn't it? This is a really frightening picture of the Red Scare and the potential for what it has to do, not just to Americans, but to the entire freedom-loving citizens of the globe. And so when he had this conversation, last lesson, about the importance of comics contributing to a conversation about American identity, this has got to be a part of that conversation. It's what we aspire to, but it's also what we're afraid of. And when we get to the next lesson, we're going to see it is so frightful of a threat that we have to get kids involved. Children have to be a part of this fight. They have to be indoctrinated into the message here because they are the future not only of our national security but of the entire United States of America, if not the globe.
0: All right, we good? All right. Well done, everybody. We'll see you next lesson. Thanks for listening to C-SPAN's Lectures in History podcast. If you're interested in hearing more history, check out season two of the Presidential Recordings podcast. The second season focuses on taped conversations between President Richard Nixon on topics ranging from the Watergate scandal to his nominees for the Supreme Court. The Presidential Recordings podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts.